0: Hello, and welcome to Just Figure It Out, a podcast to inspire and encourage our listeners to pursue their goals. This will be done by sharing stories and experiences from guests about how they made definite goals, how they failed and succeeded, but never gave up. In essence, how they just figured it out. My name is Jen McAllister, the host, also the owner of Rise CPA and Accountants. I'd like to introduce you to a favorite guest of mine today. His name is Aaron Starks. President and CEO of 47G. Please visit the website 47g.org and you'll find out so much more. But I do want to turn the time over to Aaron to give a, a better, more eloquent explanation of what 47G is.
1: Jen, this is awesome. Thank you for having me and a great intro. 47G is Utah's voice for all things aerospace and defense. We're ecosystem builders. About 20% of the state of Utah's economy is related to aerospace and defense, and so we get to convene, promote, and advocate companies, community partners, universities, et cetera, all with the intent of, of positioning Utah as the world's premier ecosystem for aerospace and defense companies. It's a lot of fun.
0: It's been a pleasure to be able to work with Aaron this past year, and what he's done is incredible what has shaped your personality? How did you become so successful in the different goals that you have set? And I know it starts early in life. And I wanted to see if the, if you could share any maybe childhood or teenage experiences.
1: Yeah, uh, it's a great question. You know, ultimately processes don't run companies, people run processes that run companies. And so great companies are run by great people. The older we get, I think the more we're able to understand ourselves. I think that's one of the blessings of life is that as we mature, we we start to recognize things in ourselves and our character that perhaps we saw in our parents. And, and you know, the older I get, the more I question why my characteristics and skills and interests have been shaped like they are. And, you know, I have wonderful parents who uh, provided a home for all of us boys. There's there's five boys in the family, and and there was great love for one another. As I've as I've thought about where my drive and ambition has come, I think it's it's the realization that the best things that my parents gave to me were the things that they couldn't give to me, and that was because you know between them there was one finite there was one high school degree, and as a result we struggled financially. You know I had I had moved eleven times by the time I was seventeen, and you know, I'll, I'll never forget um, going home one night and uh, I was I was with a friend and and his parents were driving us home and I was probably 12. And the mom, you know, she was driving the car, looked into the backseat and said, okay, Aaron, which home are we taking you to tonight? And that's just always stuck with me and it, you know, created some insecurity. I think it was hard for me to process at the time why things weren't in my mind more fair in the world, but I never want to feel that way again. And I think that that's a big Motivator. I want to provide my kids a home that with some more economic stability than I was fortunate to grow up. Uh, with and in but I also want to take some of those great strengths that my parents gave me you know the, the love and the camaraderie that we felt for one another at home and I want to pass that along as well so you know I I think that those are powerful forces that we experience early on in our formative years and so I you know I've been driven to create more prosperity to move the ball a little further upfield for my kids just like my parents did for me and ultimately I think that's the goal for all of us.
0: Yes. Thank you. What I love about that is that hard things in your life aren't things to complain about and to blame, but rather they're things to to learn from. So you want more because of certain things that have happened in your life and you're able to recognize the the good things that you can continue with your own family. One experience that stands out to me in my own life is that my parents were also not well to do, but they wanted to give us the experiences and and one in particular My dad wanted us all to be able to ski. we were a family of seven and there was not much money, but he wanted that so badly that I remember every year or two, we would go to the DI, Deseret Industries, or something like a Salvation Army, and we would get skis or we would get a ski coat. And at the time, I just thought that's what you did. And he would look for free evening ski passes and just so we would have that uh, skill that he wanted us to have and that enjoyment, even without the money. And I really think that's a lot of where my mind started to develop that mentality that you can have whatever you want within reason. You just have to be really, you just really think outside of the box on how you're going to get there. So, yeah,
1: well, I think there's a tendency in society too to take away hard things for people, you know, we're the richest economy in the world. And we live in such luxury and comfort. Um, it's, it's actually astounding. As a result, we've become very comfortable in our in our circumstances. And as I look at my kids, as I'm trying to raise them, it's it's one of the things that my wife and I discuss frequently is how do we give them hard experiences? How, how do we help fortify them and refine them and not take away consequences from them? You know, because consequences are the best teachers we have in life. And so I, I agree. That's a great story, Jim.
0: Thanks. So tell me a little bit about your early professional life and some experiences that were either positive or negative. And, I, and again, I believe that negative ex- experiences are the best teachers. And so it's not, enough, not a bad thing to have a negative experience.
1: Yeah, you know, I, I am. I served a mission for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints in Japan. And when I came home from from that mission, I, I jumped right into school and simultaneously started my career. You know, I, my wife and I were married. We were fortunate to to complete the latter end of both of our uh, academic careers together, which was, uh, which was awesome in retrospect. You know, I ran for student body president, and that was really more motivated to just afford school. The scholarships were obviously very um, beneficial to us, but it also brought with it a lot of opportunity to learn about the community, to learn about the state, to understand how policy is written. How there's a really unique and critical crossroads that businesses and legislators meet at to determine what the economy looks like here in the state. And I was kind of introduced to that in varying degrees as a young student. And I was on the board of trustees at Salt Lake Community College. And a woman by the name of Lee Anderson, she's an incredible person, is married to Scott Anderson, who's the CEO of Zions Bank. And she said, I'd like for you to meet with my husband, Scott. And I said, Well, I'd, I'd love to. And she said, I'd like for you to uh, to talk to him about maybe a career there at the bank, and I hadn't thought about banking. and so Scott, being so gracious like he is, invited me into his office and offered me the opportunity to go through the corporate credit program throughout the next six months. I was able to go and learn about credit accounting, finance, commercial real estate. and it was a really eye-opening experience. It was very hard. and you know I grinded through that and and then worked at the bank, but about a year in, I realized this it wasn't a fit, that there were other things that I wanted to do. I needed to spread my wings in other ways than the bank afforded me. And so that's when I would say I had both negative experiences and positive experiences. I, I left the company, went to work for Franklin Covey, and it was high risk. We were starting a new international division to take all this great content on leadership, goal-setting, execution, culture. And we're going to repackage that as a company and sell it to consumer markets and uh, and mainly families and educators. And so it was a new vertical that they were opening. And it was highly interesting to me. It was internationally focused. And, and so I jumped in headfirst. And I, I remember what a challenging experience that was because, I, you know, and as I look back, nothing could have really prepared me for it. But I was asked to go and do market research and business development when i was 23 24 in vietnam and hong kong and pakistan and and as you're doing business with asia that means it's morning for them it's nighttime here so my wife and you know our, our son was about five months old at the time four months old i remember i was taking calls in our shower in our small apartment because it was the only place that i could keep from uh, waking them up at 12 30 you know one o'clock in the morning and i'm on with myanmar and I'll never forget this. You know, at the time, it was so hard. And I thought, God, oh, we're trying to build these markets. We're trying to license the rights to companies to represent the, you know, to represent Frank and Covey in these markets. And it was just hard and the language barriers and everything associated with that. But one night I called this organization in Malaysia. When you're grinding, you know, you don't always have contacts. And so I found this organization. I d- had done some research on them, thought, you know, they're an appropriate fit. Culturally, I think they align based on what I'm reading but I need to meet with a decision maker. And I had no way in. So I was completely cold in my call. I call and I'm guessing it was a receptionist the woman answers the phone. And I said, hi, I'm, I'm calling from the United States from a publicly traded company, Franklin Covey, and I'd like to speak with the CEO. And I didn't think it would work. <laughs> she said, one moment, please. And, you know, in an accent, a thick Malaysian English accent. And I waited for about 30 seconds. And then another woman picked up the phone. She said, hi, this is so-and-so, and I can't even tell you her name. But I said, hi. And I was shocked. I didn't think anyone would pick up. And I said, my name is Aaron Starks. I'm calling from the state of Utah in the United States. How are you? And she said, is this a sales call? And I said, it's not a sales call, but I need two minutes of your time because what I have to tell you is really important. She said, your two minutes starts now. And that was it. And I gave her this pitch and said, you have the opportunity to represent us exclusively. with." the number one training organization in the world. And I think this would enhance your product offerings and yada, yada, yada. And You know, 24, I'm trying to work through a sales pitch. And and she said, okay, let's set up a call with my executive team. Now we took that clear to the one yard line and, and the deal blew up. It didn't work out. That was a hard experience. But the success of that two minute phone call made me think that, you know, maybe I can do this. And it's kept me going, little things like that throughout my career. And we eventually grew, you know, the business to you know $50 million PL internationally and 23 markets. And it was just, it was a lot of fun. We moved internationally. It led to a lot of cool things. But that phone call was kind of a pivotal moment.
0: I love that. And I think life is full of pivotal moments for sure. As a 23-year-old, that's incredible. Most people that age would say, This is ridiculous. There's no way I could do this. So what made you different than other 23-year-olds? What made you believe that that you could get into this territory that you really didn't know anything about? I think
1: early on in my career, I really struggled. I, I had a chip on my shoulder, and I probably still do a little bit, a need or a feeling like I needed to prove myself. Mm-hmm. And so I was the youngest on our team here in the U.S. I felt that too. I felt my age. I wanted to prove that I could do it. And The difference between me and someone with gray hair at the time, or at least I felt, was just experience. So I thought, well, I'm just going to go out and get some experience. I have found that hard work ultimately makes a difference in every situation. It's not experience. The harder you can work, the more efficient you are, the self-efficacy, the belief that you can do hard things, if you have that, that's the core foundation for anyone to be successful. And I feel like I've always had that. And I want others to have that because people are capable of doing amazing things when they want to. but we talk ourselves out of it.
0: Were there people in your life that were naysayers that you kind of had to fight against and really kind of block them out? Or did it get to you? And how do you, because everybody has positive people that uplift them and say, you can do this, you can do this. And then there are always those that think you're crazy. How do you handle those that don't believe in you?
1: I've had experiences where I should have listened to myself and not other people. And now I live with a little bit of regret. I think all of us maybe maybe have those experiences. I've also had experiences where people were really rooting for me and I listened to them and it worked out. And What I'm learning about myself is that it's rare, but I have had experiences in life where I've known certain opportunities were worth taking, that the risk was worth the reward. I've had those moments. And now I'm I'm starting to to understand that I need to listen to myself and prioritize how I feel. Now, as I as I allude to some of those experiences in the past that I listened to others and I shouldn't. It's clear to me that even had I gone forward, not listening to them, but done what I felt was right and failed, I still would have been happier with mm-hmm. the outcome. Because now I ask, well, what if? What if I would have done that right? And and mm-hmm. that's the worst thing. You don't want to carry that around your neck for for your career. As we were growing the business internationally, the opportunity presented itself. The company offered me and my wife a position in, in Tokyo to open up Asia headquarters. You know, I'd served a mission in Japan. I felt like, you know, I've, I've got a language foundation that would serve me well in this new opportunity. And that was extremely difficult. Culturally, it's very different than the United States. And from a business perspective, everything is about age. Mm-hmm. Everything about age in Tokyo. It's not a meritocracy like it tends to be here. It's really based on seniority and age. And that's what the leadership of these, these Japanese companies um, are built on. And so a seniority. I'll never forget, I opened that new division at Frank and Covey in Tokyo. And so we inherited some employees from a different division. One of which it was about a 53. She's probably about 50 year old woman who had, by all accounts, had a very successful career. I remember she was so bad to me and it was really hard because I'm the young guy from corporate. I'm mm-hmm. not Japanese. My Japanese is not stellar. I'm trying to put deals together. I'm trying to grow this team and and she just picked me apart and it was hard. You know that movie Broken, Angelina Jolie directs and it's about the prisoner of war and you know winds up on a lifeboat, Louis Zamperini and winds up as a prisoner of war in a Japanese camp and there's this character in the camp called the bird who just, for whatever reason, there's 200 people in the camp and he hones in on this on Louis Amparini and just makes his life hell and does it for months and months and months. And it's an incredible movie. It's an even better book. I felt like she was that person to me. Team meetings, she was disruptive. And I remember how hard that was feeling like, well, she does have a seniority. She's got 30 years experience on me. And I I remember it came to a point where I had to stand up for myself. And I knew that if I didn't stand up for myself, I was going to get walked all over. And I did. And we confronted it. And and I did it, obviously, in in a magnanimous way to where, you know, I had to remind her that this was important for the whole team and that I expected more from her. And because I addressed her, behaviors changed and instilled trust within, I was able to demonstrate some leadership and gain some credibility with the team. And that was important. But it was hard. It was really hard to do all of that, especially in a foreign language.
0: Mm -hmm. That's really inspiring. And where do you get that courage? Most people would just be backed into a corner and just take their place. So where do you muster up that, that courage to stand up for yourself?
1: You know, um, in education right now, the big key word or buzzword is self-efficacy. And it kind of goes back to where we started this conversation, Janet's, this belief that you can do hard things. Mm -hmm. and educators parents are really struggling helping their kids do hard things you know there's been an increase a dramatic increase in anxiety rates and depression amongst youth and a lot of things are contributing to that but I think because I experienced hard things growing up I was able to tell myself that I could do that too Mm -hmm. man it's almost like a muscle that you flex in the exercise right you do one thing you know that you can do another and and it becomes repetition. And over time, there's a a confidence inherently gained that you can lean on and look to and in those trying moments. And I think by then I'd had enough of those moments to where I said, you know, I'm going to handle this And, and it worked out.
0: Thanks, Aaron. It's insight like this that make this podcast so worth it. I love that. Let's jump to where you're at now. It's amazing what you've done this past year. Tell the listeners a little bit about your new path and the big goal that most people think would be too lofty. And I think that relates to all of us and this podcast where the point is, is to set goals that may seem lofty to most, but then to be decisive and and truly believe that you'll be able to achieve that. Sometimes you go down a path and it doesn't work the way you thought it would, but you can just kind of take a detour and you you still have the same goal, but you just try to get there a different way. Tell us about where you're at now
1: you know, I had a great run at Frank and Covey and left the company, moved back to Utah. And I think it was time for my wife and I to do something new. We, you know, as I was rounding out, completing that experience with Frank and Covey, I, I went and completed my MBA. And at the conclusion of that, you know, was seven, eight years with, with the company. And I said, you know, I'm ready for something new. And a good friend of mine, Miles Hansen, reached out at World Trade Center, Utah. And he said, Hey, I'd love for you to come and start a new practice within the organization that would help accelerate growth for utah companies who want to do business in international markets and i thought well hey i've, I've done that you know i i can i'd be happy to do that and, and so i went to work for world trade center utah it's a great organization doing doing wonderful things for companies in the state And for about two years i thought you know this is this is really awesome it's really rewarding you're helping companies you know in the most rural areas of the state access markets internationally that they didn't even know existed the humanistic side of me really loved that, you know, the connecting with people, helping them explore the unknown, you know, stretching their imaginations. And and we, we helped well over a hundred companies and it was a great run. Now, about two years then I got pretty restless though. I thought I want to be doing something else. And sometimes you feel like you're prepared for an opportunity that isn't always right in front of you, but you know that you're, you're capable of doing a little bit more and I was on a golf course of all places. I like to golf when I can, and it's a great stress reliever for me. And and I was golfing with a friend who said, you know, Senator Mitt Romney's office and others have become aware that there's just a huge void of leadership within aerospace and defense here in the state. And there's really not an organization helping these entrepreneurs, helping these innovators succeed, both domestically and abroad. I thought, hmm, tell me more. You know, I hit my drive and... You know, we, we get talking and, and he said, well, we'd really like to start an organization that could run point and help entrepreneurs access capital, help universities prepare students to go to work and, you know, the aerospace and defense industries to connect companies with buyers, partners, investors to do all of these things. And I said, I think I could do that. I said, hey, would you, would you guys be willing to let me do that? And they said, well, yeah, let's talk about it. And one thing led to another, and we're about... 15, 14 months in, and, you know, we have touch points now with maybe just shy of 200 companies. We work with every university and college in the state. Uh, The governor's office has been a huge proponent of this, and the state legislature has been a great partner, and we've done some great things in our first year. We're really excited for a new year, though, and have great people on the team like you, Jen, who are making things happen for us, And, and I would say that's the underlying reason for our success is that we've attracted great people to the organization who care.
0: So as this year has closed and many people are very pleasantly surprised at the success of 47G, you've mentioned it's the people, but why or why not? Are you surprised that it's been much better than most people expected?
1: Yes, I am surprised, pleasantly surprised. We set a goal. I think you were in the meeting. Um, This would have been about March. We said, hey, let's, let's see if we can work with 55 companies this year. And again, we had like three people on the team. And so it was highly ambitious at the time. And even that would have been great success the first year. You know, here we are having met with nearly 200 companies, working with nearly 100. We obviously met our goal, but to me, it wasn't about the goal. It was about the process. And sometimes we place so much focus on the goal that we lose sight of the process. And then the goal never becomes a reality. You know, I believe firmly and I believe this in my own personal life if you can follow a good process professionally, spiritually, physically, the results will take care of themselves, but you have to be process oriented. You have to understand the process. You have to honor the process. You have to follow it. And the process for us was attracting great people, training those people and empowering those people. You know, we've hired people who've really made a difference for the organization and we need to continue doing that 2024 as well.
0: I believe in the law of attraction. And I believe when someone has the right passion and drive that naturally the right talent is attracted to the team. And I, in my own financial firm, I see that my team is very awesome. So I'm going to, you know, give you much credit because you are that kind of person. And so it's no surprise to me that you'd be able to attract the kind of team that has that same passion and same culture. And that leads to another question, which is, what is your why? what is the passion? And I don't mean for the state of Utah. I don't mean for the industry, but you personally, why do you get up each morning? What is the passion that you feel in 47G?
1: You know, this is a great question and one that I feel like will and can change throughout your whole life. When I started my career, it was about stability. Young family, wanted to buy a home. We had been in Japan, wanted to grow some roots, establish ourselves. That was my why. What I did each day didn't matter as much as, you know, getting the resources I needed to establish my life and my family. Since that time, the answer has changed to, well, I really want to work with good people. Well, I really want to do work that matters. And now I am at a stage in my life where my why is, I guess it's the realization that I have one life. I have one life to live, but I'm in the driver's seat. And I want to do things that are going to build legacies. Like at 47G, my success won't be measured by any amount of companies, any amount of revenue that we generate for a company. I, like That's great. In 10 years from now, 47G is doing great things and I'm not a part of it. I'll, I'll know that I succeeded. Like if companies are still being benefited from the services, the programs being provided as a result, of 47G, then I'll know that I built a legacy that's, that's beyond and bigger than me. I want to solve really complex things. And why wouldn't we? We have one life. And so put your brain to use. You have a ton of God-given potential. Go out and make something happen. But just, just work toward it. Mm-hmm. Ask people for help. My experience has been that when you're determined and you have that vision, and you're certainly motivated and you're willing to ask questions along the way, it's always led to, to success. And certainly no regret.
0: Thank you. I was going to ask for parting words. Any last words? quotes that you love or last bits of advice. I feel like you just gave the best advice ever. So if you have something additional, please share.
1: You know, Henry Ford has a great quote. Henry Ford, obviously, you know, the the founder of Ford Motor Company and a very successful entrepreneur. He has this great quote about hard work. And he says, he who cuts his own wood warms himself twice. And I thought, you know, that's so interesting, right? If you're willing to put in the time and the work in the short term, you're refined, but in the long term, you're rewarded. And I, I've i just always kind of loved that. And that's, you know, that's a, a culture that we, we try to create within our family, but especially at the 47G family, it's, you know, we're cutting our own wood.
0: Thank you, Aaron. It's a pleasure to talk with you. And to our listeners, please visit 47g.org. And this is Jen McAllister, the host of Just Figure It Out. Until next time.